Ferreira is lost to us. He denounced God in public and surrendered the faith. That's not possible. Father Ferreira risked his life to spread our faith all over Japan. It seems to me that our mission here is more urgent than ever. We must go find Father Ferreira. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Hello and welcome back to the Substandard. I'm Victor Mattis along with Jonathan V. Last and Sonny Bunch. First, I'd like to remind you all that the Substandard is available on iTunes and now Google Play. Uh, or is it the Google Play? I'm not quite just sure. Google Play. It's I'd, cleaner. I don't even know what Google Play is. So just look under podcasts and search for Substandard. Apparently, we're going to soon be on Spotify. This is very exciting. You'll easily find us. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. Uh, many of you have. Thank you so much, and keep it going. So happy New Year, fellas. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, Jonathan. It sounded like you had a wonderful uh, New Year's. Uh, tell us about your time at home. It was great. I was home with my four children because, <sighs> let me just say this, uh, my kids go to this little little hippy-dippy private school, and if they were to offer for, I don't know, say $5,000 a week extra school for Christmas vacation, I would pay for that money. I would just slap that cash down there. Here, take my children. I don't want to, this is like two weeks at home with my children all at once, and it was... It was wonderful. It was, you know, I just really love getting to look at their little child eyes and see them experience. <laughs> how, how did you uh, describe eyes. it on when you texted us the other day? So I, I texted you guys the other day and I said, do you remember that planet in Interstellar where it's right at the edge of the black hole so time moves like unbelievably slowly. You're down there for two hours and it turns out it was 25 years. That was my vacation. That sounds awesome. But the giant wave yeah. is coming at you. Oh, <laughs> it came at me. We left... Uh, the kids with my parents up in Jersey for about four or five days. I hate you. <laughs> oh, we're getting oh. the bleed for that one. Beep. Uh, so, and it was great, by the way. It's like, what do you want to eat tonight? Oh, let's go here. Oh, great. Exciting. Oh, sure. boy. I love yeah, that. that must have been nice. Very exciting. How about you, Sonny? Uh, I had a nice I had a nice break. Uh, my, uh, my wife's father was in town, and uh, he played with our... Uh, our daughter a lot, which was nice. Um, Frees up some time for you. Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, we went to the Air and Space Museum. The like actual, you know, I went to the actual Air and Space Museum as opposed to just going to the Air and Space Museum to go to the IMAX. And that was <laughs> it. Was the first time well, I've been there in a long time. Which one in it was like, Dulles or no, in DC? In DC. So we went to the Udvar-Hazy Center, which is the one in Dulles uh, last year with him. That's and a great one. The, it's really nice. It like it really kind of cuts to the chase. It's just a big hangar full of stuff. It's like, after, here, after, look at all this stuff. Aside from parking, everything is yeah. free, and there's so much more space. Yeah, yeah. 
but the uh, the the one on the mall is nice as well. It's it's just more crowded and it's kind of the, the pain one on to, the mall. They they've really carefully thought about this uh, about which planes to have mm-hmm. where. There's no. I don't think there's much. Uh, um, lay. I don't think there's much duplication. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, for example, I mean the really. I mean there's cool stuff at, at Udvarhazi in Dulles. But in D.C., they've got the British Spitfire, and I believe they have um, the Messerschmitt, the 109, and the 262, which was the first jet. I'm glad that you uh, made sure to pronounce that correctly for your Fuhrer, <laughs> who I'm sure is listening. Yes, listening that, right that, yes I'm still looking for the man in the high castle, by the way. Um, and, uh, I think he's the only person who watches the man in the high castle. I watched castle the first season. The, not I a dystopian the, universe, yeah. but, but, <laughs> but what could have been. Aspirational. <laughs> it was, I'm like, really, there's so much to not say at this uh, point. Uh, but uh, uh, we were talking earlier. I did not uh, see that coming. <laughs> um, Christmas presents. There must be a high. That, that's a highlight for you, Jonathan. Yeah. You must have gotten something nice uh, to brighten up the uh, week. I got socks. I, uh, I, I, so Vic knows this. Vic and I have been working together now for, it'll be 20 years, two weeks from now. We will have been office husbands. All, we've been office same-sex married for 20 years, long before wow. Obergefell. That's very progressive. We're, we're pioneers on this. And, uh, and so I have a number of uh, eccentricities. Like, for instance, I only wear Lost t-shirts. Lost is a... <laughs> He's surf- literally wearing He's a Lost really? t-shirt right now. <laughs> uh, it's a surf couture brand spun off of Mayhem Surfboards. I thought it was for the show. No, no, it's not. It's aspirational oh, yeah, I also I also assumed that was for the show. I didn't realize I was... No, I have a literally surfboard. an entire dresser drawer full of nothing but Lost t-shirts. Okay. And this is what I wear all the time, every day. And... Uh, you want to be you want you want to be into. something that you're not yet, but you want to be that person. No, it's it's deeper than that. Um, <laughs> and so this is just one of my proclivities. Another one is socks. There is nothing I love more than putting on a brand new pair of socks. If I were rich, not like buy yourself a hundred forty million dollar yacht rich, but like you know, like I was a hedge fund manager and I was making. I don't know four million a year or something like that. The only thing I would do that's Mr. Burns style extravagance is that I would never wear a pair of socks twice. That's uh, Arthur Bach in the movie Arthur. I would wear I would a brand new pair of socks. You take them take them out of the package. You put them on. You wear them, and when you're done, you throw them away. Are you, well, he it's donated to charity, but you're just going to throw. Them I away. would throw them away. And so okay. this is what every Christmas the people who love me and know me best they give me socks. And do you join. get like the fancy NBA socks? What it, what what kind of socks do you get? <laughs> no, you it's, go up to it's your a, knees. It's a mix between like gold toe, just you know, normal middle of the road dress socks for when you're going to put on shoes, mm-hmm. and just normal Nike or Puma or Adidas, uh, athletic socks for when you're wearing sneakers. Mm. Do you and remember the Paul Wolfowitz story? He no. went when he was uh, in the administration, uh, in the Bush administration. He visited a mosque and had to take off his shoes, and he had holes in his socks. And it was a big story. The reporters, of course, made a lot of fun of this. And like the very next day, uh, Golto, the company Golto, like sent him a giant box of new socks. That's like your dream. That is my dream. So this is the so this is the present I got that I was most happy with. I got socks, and it makes me so happy. And everybody who loves me gives me socks. And so anybody who ever wants to send things to the Substandard as a gift to us, just Amazon me socks. Yeah. I don't even care what kind. They're great. Vic, did you get your personal massager? <laughs> 
no, no, no. I just had to uh, uh, use my own hands uh, for my back, <laughs> for my back. And uh, I- I'll tell you what I love. Uh, I mean, gift cards are great. Always happy with gift cards. But do you need pickles or bananas? The, I got my my favorite kind Cucumber. of gifts are food. No zucchini. No eggplant. What? No food and drink. I love food and drink. And so my in laws. Uh, got me uh, two boxes. One was from Zingerman's. I don't know what you, if you know what Zingerman's is. If anyone who went to Michigan, that's the Michigan place, it's right? It's in Ann Arbor. It's fantastic, and they do a thing just of uh, seafood in tins, like tins. So, like, uh, uh, it came in. It was like in a giant tin uh, can, uh, and it was. I have it written down here: bonita tin tuna, uh, mackerel, sardines, anchovies, and also a uh, basket from Zabar's in New York, uh, and that had a bunch of salamis, and I can't tell you how much I love salamis. You actually had to reach in. Some of it was like, tucked inside as if they were trying to hide the salami, but I found it. You played hide the salami. I, well, you, did you win hide the salami? On Christmas Day. I, I always win. And uh, my parents, uh, again, aside from a uh, generous, lovely Did gift. you do that on Christmas Eve after the kids were in bed? <laughs> I, in front of the kids. I can't wait. And uh, um, I, I, uh, for my parents, uh, aside from the gift cards, uh, they also got me one of my terrible guilty pleasures, which is the uh, my annual Hickory Farms basket, as I like to call it, the basket of deplorables, and it is the processed cheese and the uh, the beef sticks. And I have to, the cheese is processed, which is, I'll even say that's questionable, but uh, I have to say with a beef stick, nothing beats a good summer sausage. Oh, okay. Thank that's, you. That's How about you, Sonny? Uh, Christmas was, was great. Uh, many fantastic gifts. I also got socks. Actually, my wife got me some delightful socks. Uh, are the best, aren't they? Delightful uh, Darth Vader socks, which you know matches everything that I own. Um, you are wearing black today, so I know. Uh, I, I'm I'm not wearing them today. I wore them yesterday. I was so excited to wear my new Darth Vader socks. I wore them first day back to work. Uh, no, my best gift was uh, my my uh, uh, father was able to get a bottle of 20-year Pappy Van Winkle. I cannot wait for next year's Spirit of the Week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to bring that in here. Never. Never going to do that. Uh, he, what is but that? Is was, that a good thing? So, 20-year uh, Pappy Van Winkle is, it's like one of the most sought-after bourbons in the world. In the aftermarket, it's like $1,300, $1,400, et cetera. The price but, has skyrocketed. Yeah. Barbara Kittle, it's, who's sitting outside our studio, her husband has been searching for Pappy Van Winkle for several years yeah. now. So basically- I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail yeah. the show, but so is this, it's no longer in production? So no, it is, no, it's made every year. They just make very little of it. It takes a very long time to make, and the, the 20 years ago, they had no idea it was going to become kind of a fad, really. I mean, it's like, it is a thing that is hard to get, so everybody wants it, so it makes it harder to get. It's one of these weird, vicious cycles. Okay. Um, the bourbon itself is fine. It's like I would not pay $1,300 or whatever for it, and fortunately my uh, father did not. He was able to get it at a Virginia ABC store at basic retail. Uh, so, you know, we... It's we, one of the quirks of the Soviet system yeah. in Virginia. Virginia, so Virginia, for people who don't know, the, it's all state-run liquor stores, and they have, like, set prices. There's no There's no free market in Virginia. Wait, for so liquor. how was he able to just get this? So he was on a, he was on he was bourbon. on a waiting list for like five years. 
uh, and the a store, a store, a, a store just happened to have it come in, and he was next yeah, up on the list. A sign you so have they, a drinking problem. You got they, uh, a wait list for well, booze. No, you. I mean, look, this is a, a lot this of is people. Like anything. I, this is a big deal. It's a yeah. Big this is so just uh, just uh, you know the adults in the room yes. who like to enjoy you know spirits. Fine, uh, fine spirits. Fine, fine alcohol spirits uh, will understand that this was a very good gift. I'll make sure to uh, tweet this out to Pappy Van Winkle, and maybe they'll send us one. Yeah, I bet they'll just you know call. A whole case. Who is it? I Heaven bet. Hill that runs owns Pappy Van Winkle. No, it's, it's um, of, um, it's a uh, Buffalo Trace. A Buffalo Trace, of yeah. course. Yeah. Buffalo yeah. Trace. Who and uh, I actually went to the Buffalo Trace Distillery two or three years ago for a uh, a friend was getting married in Kentucky. Like we had, uh, we could go to, we had time to go to one distillery. I was like, mm-hmm. got to go to Buffalo Trace. They're the best. Uh, I did Woodford Reserve at Maker's Mark on on the Bourbon Trail with the Distilled Spirits Council, and you know, the most surprising one was Wild Turkey. Because I think it usually gets a bad rap as being something like college. Mm. One, uh, you, everyone's drinking Wild Turkey 101. 101 is actually really good. It's a really, it's, really good It turns bourbon. out to be, yeah. it, it's, it was really good. Yeah. We had a great time. Uh, when I was uh, off during this last week, I I got a chance to see a, what did I watch on TV? Well, I'll tell you what I watched uh, in the movie theaters. I saw Rogue One again. We can discuss this afterwards. Uh, at corrections, but I tell you, it it gets better with age. I it really does, and there are things that I missed the first time. Uh, Jonathan, did you get a chance to escape at all to see a movie? I did. I went to see Rogue One again. Ah, we will discuss. <laughs> we, we will discuss this. And Sonny, did you see? Rogue we're going to talk about Rogue One on every podcast we ever <laughs> yeah. do. It'll make it on the headline and the subhead of every episode because yeah. that tends to drive traffic. High high SEO. High SEO, and uh, the SEO power is immeasurable. Just like this. Like the power of the battle station. That's right. Well Uh, well played, Sonny. Thank you. And Sonny, did you watch Rogue One again, or did you see something else? Uh, I did not see Rogue One again, because I've seen it once, and once is enough for anyone. Uh, shots fired. Uh, but no, but see. but I did see uh, Silence I, ah. yesterday. I saw Silence, the new Martin Scorsese film, uh, which is based on a Japanese novel. Scorsese, Scorsese. I always say Scorsese. Is it Scorsese? I do Scorsese. Right. Uh, I don't know. Well, I, I'm only uh, our. Uh, we have a friend who interviewed him. I have to ask our friend. I won't use his name because I'll tell an anecdote about his experience in the interview process with him <laughs> later, which is not fun. But I, I say Scorsese in any event. Sorry. Uh, Continue. Well, I I am not. I'm not going to kowtow to these uh, foreign pronunciations of of names. Um, uh, Martin Scorsese's latest film, uh, Silence. Uh, which is about a pair of Jesuit priests who travel to Japan in the, uh, I guess it's the 17th century. Um, I think it's 16th century Japan. No, no, it's in the 1600s. 1600s, So it's the 17th century. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Aren't we in the 20th century now? Hi, thanks for correcting me, Victor (laughs) Mattis, uh, when I was already totally correct. Uh, You can lash yourself on the back for that one. Uh, Anyway... Please. If we're done with yes. the name yes. pronunciation, it's based on the Shisako Endo novel the, from 1966. Uh, the, Go ahead. The the date corrections that yes. are wrong. Please. Fire away. Uh, anyway, Silence is about a, two two priests. Uh, one played by Andrew Garfield, latest of Hacksaw Ridge, but also probably most famously as Spider Man, um, and uh, uh, Adam Driver, who of course is Kylo Ren and from Girls and other other stuff. Um, they go to seventeenth uh, uh, century Japan, and they are trying to uh, uh, track down a, another priest who was 
lost to them in a a, a repression by the Japanese, uh, I guess, imperial government. I don't know what the actual form of government at this point in Japan is. Uh, but anyway, it's about these these two uh, priests struggling with their faith, trying to bring uh, uh, their Lord and Savior to the uh, Japanese masses. Who want them there? It should be it should be highlighted that this is not like an imperial misadventure this is you know the the christian people of japan are asking for them to come uh and and help them uh save their souls so uh anyway the the it is a very it's it's clearly a very deeply personal movie for for scorsese he is uh working through i think some of his own issues with catholicism definitely the the silence uh the titular silence from god uh for instance um I don't want to spoil too much. It it does. Uh, it is long. It's about two hours and forty minutes. I was about um, to ask. Did it feel like? But it, did it fe- two hours and forty minutes? But it did it feel like more like four, or did it feel? No, I mean I don't think it felt like four hours. It felt like about two hours and 40, for most 40 Scorsese minutes. movies, I mean, it's, I try it's to not m- as it's not as fast paced as like Goodfellas. It's about the same length as Goodfellas, yeah. but but it's not. It's it's definitely slower. It feels slower. It feels more you know internal and for his movies, I try to get mentally prepared before I sit. Mm. And it, the worst is when you don't expect a movie to be long, no. and then next thing you know, you're having bed pains. Yeah, I mean, that, that that happens. So. Yeah, so it uh, it uh, um, it is a little bit long. It's it's a, it is a little bit brutal. You get to see there is some some torture. It's not quite. It's not like Passion of the Christ brutal. I was I went in expecting it to be really you know. Yeah, that's what I and, from what I've read. But it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't nearly as bad as that. It was, but it is. Look, it's intense. It's a movie where people are tortured into renouncing their faith. So, right. you know, that is that is that is a key part of the film. It is a, it is a it is a thing to expect when you go in there. It's um, the, the question of uh, apostasy and whether or not that's a did did Liam Neeson commit apostasy? Right. right. So the 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 uh, priest, the Jesuit uh, priest who is played by Liam Neeson, they are uh, the the two younger priests are searching for him, uh, and the question is whether he committed apostasy. Uh, really, the real question is what. What is apostasy, I think? Right. And uh, I was also wondering from everything I've read, and I've read various book reviews as well, everyone seems deeply divided, both on the book and the movie, uh, particularly Catholics in terms of what it means for them, mm-hmm. and depending on how they interpret it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a uh, Jesuit professor, uh, I know Father Fields at Georgetown, and he has a friend who teaches an entire course on it. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, the sign of a great book is that it's not very yeah. <laughs> clear cut like that, but, yeah. but that... Um, uh, it is deeply divided, and yeah. depending on, you know, uh, the idea of martyrdom, and is it a sin to have this yearning to be a martyr? Right, right. right. And this is, I think, uh, this is kind of the dilemma that uh, Andrew Garfield's character finds himself. Glory. in. He is, he is, is he, is he vain to think of himself as Christ, or is he doing the Lord's work to think of himself as Christ? You know, and I, I mean, look, I, I, as, as a non-Catholic. Looking at this from the outside, um, I would be very interested to get your guys' opinion when you see it. Uh, uh, There's not many places around us, I think, that are shy. Maybe the landmark? Yeah, it's definitely a It's a small... Look, this is... You know, Martin Scorsese in an interview a couple weeks ago said it's very hard to get uh, $40 million to make a movie these days because, you know, a $40 million movie has to gross about $200 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. And if you... Mm-hmm count the number of people who are uh, into seeing a movie about uh, Jesuit priests getting tortured by Japanese right. imperial you know forces whatever dudes carrying around samurai yeah. swords yeah. with scalding hot you know shower baths 
to, to get you to renounce your faith. Yeah. I'm guessing it's a, it's a relatively no, low number. So It uh, would you know, help if the Jesuits were driving a car that transformed into a robot, maybe. <laughs> If they were, or shooting, or or, or fighting the 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 uh, the, the uh, katanas with lightsabers. Oh yeah, there you, know, you go. That would help. Yeah. Oh, they'd cut through them easily. So do they not realize that if only the church would get right on same-sex marriage, then the Japanese would have been cool with it? <laughs> yeah, no. It, this is a movie about really uh, the importance of of bringing your faith up to standards with up to it snuff. is. It's no. It's actually very fascinating. We we now have in the past three months or so, right, two movies that are deeply in. Deeply inflected by uh, uh, faith and the faithful. You have Hacksaw Ridge, and uh, and Silence now, which are both kind of about the awful, terrible behavior of uh, of the the Japanese government in times of stress and warfare. I, it is actually like I'm I'm like kind of surprised that yeah they got the double whammy would, this year. Yeah, they really they, Japan is just taking it on the chin. But they, I thought, I didn't think they ever recovered from Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. I thought that was, you know, the, that was the first shots fired, mm-hmm. I guess, really. Uh, but it is interesting, Sonny, that you talk about um, how it reflects Scorsese's own, you know, pain and the struggles mm-hmm. of uh, of faith and doubt that he has, uh, and you see that through his career. I was going to say, Last Temptation right. of Christ that's is another obviously one. Obviously, the that's the big one. Yeah, you know, which uh, I don't know. Maybe you guys can talk a little more about this. The 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 argument over whether or not this is a heretical film i mean it is i think it's a you know uh, again you mean um a silence no no uh the last temptation last temptation uh my understanding is even evangelicals were very very upset uh particularly because of the controversial scene in which uh, jesus you know really i thought it was the, the catholics scene. i thought the catholics were the ones who were you know uh, it depends which catholics you talk to yeah. if that makes any sense but uh you know it, it's 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 the love scene between jesus and mary magdalene but mm-hmm. in the, it's the nikos kazantzakis book that you know that this is based on and what People, religious uh, Catholics, have to remember is that that scene uh, where he and uh, Mary Magdalene have sex. This is as him as mortal, mortal Jesus, just the man. This is not him as a son of God. It's this, it's this hypothetical where the devil tempts him to come off the cross. It's right. that moment, and that's the last yeah. temptation. And he decides, well, what happens if I did? Yeah. And then he comes off the cross, and then he lives the rest of his life as a normal man. And logically, he would have married Mary Magdalene. And then he has a child, but then one day, you know, these things are taken away from him. And then he's walking down, um, you know, a path, and he sees a guy on a soapbox claiming to be the Messiah. And he says, wait a minute. He says, you know, you're not the Messiah. You're a false prophet. I'm the Messiah. And he says, no, you were the Messiah. You know, this whole thing. Yeah. And then flashes back, and then he's back on the cross. Yeah. Sorry, in case anyone wanted to see the movie, but um, with but David Boyle, thirty-year-old. Yes. That's right. I, that's right. I'm with the, David Bowie as Pontius Pilate. Yes, right? David right. Bowie as yeah. Pontius Pilate. Barbara Hershey as Mary Magdalene, and of course Harvey Keitel as Judas. Mm. But that was because you got to. Uh, Scorsese always tries to include some of his favorites in every movie. The yeah. funny story is when he did uh, Kundun about the Dalai Lama. He says Joe Pesci came to him and was like, "Come on, come on, you got to get me in that film somehow." Uh, that did not work out yeah. uh, for him as to be like a, a shaved bald uh, Buddhist monk. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but it is interesting because uh, Scorsese has now done films that have been, you know, the big block blockbusters, and then he's done uh, these kind of films as well. Yeah, well, his last film before this was Wolf of Wall Street, which is about you know a whore mastering, you know, yeah. uh, uh, drug abusing. Big living uh, Wall Street fraudster, and you know, then you have this and it did well, about, right? I mean, it was, yeah, yeah, that was that was a I, it maybe his most successful. Is that right? I, I can't remember. I would I would have to look it up, but uh, 
It's one. It's certainly one of his, not adjusted for inflation or anything like that. It's one of his most successful films. The the this thing about Scorsese, uh, and this is not an original idea, but he, if you notice, he's very uncomfortable actually making love scenes, uh, filming yeah, very, love scenes. Yeah, very few. Very and few. and he's much more comfortable doing the violent scenes, yep. much more creative and artistic in a weird yep. way. Uh, again, that's not my original idea. But if you watch uh, the the well, love, the, is the, this is this due to his? Do you think his religion his, is his, this uh, like relationships? A, you know. I don't. I, I don't know. It, you know, he uh, he uh, when he uh, did Goodfellas. If you look at uh, the the love scene between Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracco, mm-hmm. and he just pans across their body. He's on top of her, legs intertwined. Not really any. There's no nudity, whatever. Yeah. And then you fast forward to The Departed, and there's a scene with Leo DiCaprio and Vera Farmiga. And it's the same exact scene, yeah. and it yeah. just pans across. And I kind of felt like, you know, it's sort of like George Lucas and his hatred of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's just sit down and talk about it. Right. Let's just get this love scene out of the way because I know people want to, and then yeah. let's move on. And this is, I think, this is one of the reasons you can tell that he kind of despised. Uh, there was a big debate when Wolf of Wall Street came out about whether or not it was lionizing this Jordan Belfort character or if it was a a film that was like critiquing and damning him. And I think that the 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 real tell is the fact that that movie is filled with nudity. It is filled with him degrading women in in a variety of ways, which is something that, again, Scorsese has shied away from. I mean, Last Temptation of Christ is one of the only other movies that I can remember with, like, uh, there's there's one topless scene in Mean Streets. There's, right. you know, uh, Mary Magdalene for a bit in, in Last Temptation. But, like, it... it, it it's really, weird and uncomfortable. For, for a filmmaker of, like... Uh, for, for a filmmaker who works almost exclusively in R-rated films who who came uh, up in the 60s and 70s it is very it's very strange to have that sort of restraint on yeah. on on matters yeah. sexual yeah. whereas the violet seeds yeah yeah i was thinking about of course in, in goodfellas the the iconic uh, opening scene of Goodfellas where Billy Betts gets stabbed to death in the truck. There's an awful sound that they use there. And, and it reminded me also that for Scorsese, his favorite part of filmmaking is editing. Mm-hmm. He loves being in the room afterwards with Thelma Schoonmaker, mm-hmm. his longtime film editor, and the two of them. And that's all they do. And he, that's, his, that's what he says is his favorite part. Yeah. But you hear that noise and the sound and the lights. It's just awful, but it's memorable. And then, of course, uh, in uh, Casino, there is that awful scene with the head vice. Yeah. And that with was the eye, the eye, and you know, actually, there was a great a head column in the Wall Street Journal where the technical guy in charge of that, I think, he asked his father, who was a doctor, like, what would happen with the eye pop out if you, you know, put a guy's head in cool. a vice? And the doctor said, the, the father said, no, that would that would that wouldn't happen. But Scorsese says he wanted it to happen anyway. Yeah. And yeah. the only difference is in the book, and it's an awful scene, but in the book, uh, there's apparently some guy in the back eating a bowl of pasta. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> other than that. What you see is uh, what you get. Uh, do you guys have favorite Scorsese movies? Jonathan, what's your favorite? Uh, we've since we've dominated. I the know. Last, I'm like, sorry about Jonathan. Jonathan, Jonathan, what's is your favorite? Silence. Actually, I uh, really, really like The Rainmaker. Actually, I think that's a mm. wildly underrated. That's not that's Martin Coppola. Scorsese. Oh, that's, that's some other seventies auteur who loves oh, the mob. Geez. Is that what that is? Uh, wow, that was a setup uh, for us. What you did there? I see what you did What is it, Sonny? You do this on Twitter all the time. I S W Y D T. I see what you did there. I overrated. Wow. Does not Listen like Martin that. Scorsese. Overrated. That's, you're ridiculous. Uh, look, 
nobody. Uh, I think you need what you need like to see fine. is you need to see more Martin Scorsese movies. I think he's fine. Jesus. Scorsese is fine. Uh, he is put in this pantheon of great directors, though, just because he's a boomer and because he's an auteur and because the boomers decide that anybody from their generation who's ever done anything with a reasonable degree of skill for a long time must be the greatest of all time. This is like the Bob Dylan stuff, yeah, getting the Nobel <laughs> Prize. It, it, he's good. He's good. He's been prolific for a very long time. And he's made 24 major films over 50 years, and you, he deserves a tremendous amount of respect for that. He deserves a tremendous amount of respect for the fact that the beta between his best work and his worst work is very small. Like, there, he does not have embarrassing stuff, you know, in, in his oeuvre. Um, and that's, that's something. And he's technically very proficient. He knows how to make movies. That said, there are a lot of guys out there that you could say about that. Spike Lee knows how to make a movie. I mean, if you see a Spike Lee film, he is technically very proficient, and he knows how to move pieces around and do interesting scenes. Yeah, but nobody denies that Spike Lee is a major, great filmmaker. Nobody puts Spike Lee in the same way. Scorsese well, is worshipped no, no. at this no, altar yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that first off, I find no. first off, mystifying. Uh, that's because you're wrong. Uh, as in so many things, you're wrong. Uh, the, the First off, the, the, the delta between between uh, Spike Lee's best film and his worst film is enormous. Yes, uh, uh, is what I'm saying. Nobody, and, nobody, and, nobody and, puts. Nobody would argue. There's nobody who would argue that Spike Lee is on the same shelf as Scorsese. Right, but uh, okay. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> uh, I did it, because it, you're wrong. Look, I'm sorry. I mean, so in the opening scene of Boogie Nights, Paul Thomas Anderson intentionally yeah, apes the Copacabana yeah. scene from Goodfellas. Uh, he does this. It is only his second feature film, and he. He executes it better than Scorsese because not only is he like juggling all these pieces in a single take, but he's doing it with the added degree of difficulty of introducing characters and giving exposition that's critical for his entire film. And so he does this, all of this, again, it's like a 25-year-old better than Scorsese did it as a mature filmmaker. Um, when you think of great films, uh, I, how many Scorsese films strike you as being legitimately great, meaning the type of thing that you come back to again and again. Goodfellas. Goodfellas, Casino, Goodfellas. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Although Raging Bull is such a hard film to watch it that is. I don't know it that is. it's the type of thing that people often want to like go and revisit. Goodfellas, I'll give you. Mm -hmm. Maybe Casino. Uh, after that, I mean, you look at his career and he does something- over and over again. I've seen it a dozen after, times. So beginning around 1988 with Last Temptation of Christ, he starts making almost exclusively these, what my-, my buddy Mike Russell calls handsome, important American films, you know, where he just has an idea. And it's, there are no just like simple stories to be told. It's, everything is going to be an important statement film. And I think that gets tedious and monotonous. And this like leads Shutter to... Shutter Island, for instance. The question, he grew out of it eventually. Uh, we'll get back to the, the box office growth. You're making the Tom Hanks comparison as well. I... So here's the question. What do we value most from our artists? Do we want them batting for average or hitting home runs? Because batting for average, Scorsese is tremendous, I would say, right? He's a guy who is consistently putting out very high-quality movies once every 24 months over the course of like half a century. That's very impressive. But as a question of home runs, meaning a piece of art that is still vibrant that people are going to want to return to over and over again, I think he's very mediocre. Um, we don't have to talk about Star Wars again, but w whatever you want to say about Lucas, and I, yes, Lucas is terrible and he's a buffoon and all that. When you revisit the original Star Wars, even today, it is amazingly vital. 
like it retains this total vitality. It's a, it's a living work of art. It's still breathing. It's not a museum piece. It's not a back catalog item. And I think there are a whole bunch of directors, David Fincher with Seven, George Miller with Mad Max, Matthew Vaughn with Layer Cake. If I, you ask me what the best gangster movie ever made is, I would say Layer Cake, actually. John McTiernan with Die Hard, James Cameron <sighs> with Terminator 2 and Aliens, Ridley Scott with Blade Runner, Alien, Christopher Nolan, Rone. Michael Mann, Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, and we haven't even gotten to like the actual top shelf with guys like Hitchcock and Kurosawa. So I would say you view all of this through the lens, <laughs> and Scorsese is fine. I don't. I don't. I mind think he's him. more than fine. I think he's more than but fine. This, no, this, this cult is, of Scorsese right, so drives me crazy. I would say that Scorsese has made four star films in at least four, maybe five decades. Taxi Driver four-star film that you go back to. I was watching it, just it, I happened upon it on mm -hmm. Stars or mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. or one of these channels, mm -hmm. and watched about 40 minutes of it. It's friggin' great. Mm -hmm. It's friggin' great. Uh, Raging Bull, we talked Raging about. Raging Bull is generally considered to be one of the best movies of the 1980s. Mm -hmm. uh, I think reasonably, and I, I, I it, it, it is a dark film. It is, it is perhaps sometimes slightly hard to watch, but it is uh, a masterpiece of filmmaking craft the don't, shooting yeah. and don't disagree more uh, than proficient right. though I mean it was really the boxing scenes were amazing yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't important to say I don't disagree yeah. with this yeah. Goodfellas uh, is is I think I mean uh, almost inarguably uh, one of one of the again one of the best films of the 90s in like, fact he, it, he, was, that he was, has not just made oh, five on. star Let's films he has not just made five Goodfellas star is films a great movie. In, it is not in one of the best films of the 90s it's, no. it's, it's I, I agree I would say I think we could say of all time of movies I watch from the 1990s Goodfellas Goodfellas is one of five that I watch every year I have to tell you this the first time I saw Goodfellas how many times have you seen Goodfellas once, maybe three times. Okay, the first, first time, time I, with you. Yeah, that's at right. The Uptown. The first time. It was one of our first I dates. Was, that was, I don't remember much from that movie. The first time I saw that movie, your head was down. You got Thank you. <laughs> oh man, I dropped something. Uh, the first time it, I, I saw it, I actually was kind of nonplussed and exhausted. I thought, oh, this is interesting, but I'm still a Godfather fan. And then I saw it again. Goodfellas is great. Three times. Yeah. But after, anyway. like, but. I'll tell you, the more I saw it, the more I thought this is really amazing. And everything, it's everything about that amazing. movie is it, 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 it is perfect. It, like, the, the there's, Layla, there's, there are no stray scenes. The Layla piano exit scene after Jimmy Robert De Niro's character, Jimmy the Gent, cuts all his ties rather than pays yep. everybody, or he's afraid they're going to rat to the FBI, and they play you know the piano exit yep. song from Layla, is masterful. And it there's is. a great, very complicated scene um, that goes into a meat the crane uh, shot into the meat yes, into the meat truck the guy. Yep was standing there and had to very carefully walk off the crane and into the meat truck yep. and then inside without any sort of, he wanted it to be as smooth as possible and God knows how many times he must have made the guy do it. I know a guy who was a, one, he worked on set design for Hugo and um, he confirmed how difficult it is to work for Scorsese. He was on the set talking to uh, one of his bosses and immediately somebody was coming in with Scorsese, and then he says to him, "You gotta leave. You gotta leave. You gotta leave because uh, Scorsese's coming. You can't be here. You can't be here. He's gotta be. You gotta, you, nobody here. Everybody out. You know." And it's that kind of hard work. Uh, that's uh, very difficult yeah. to work with. And our uh, a friend who will remain nameless, uh, you know, helped do an interview with him. And I thought you were going to save this. Oh, uh, it's now. You're it's happening it. now. You're going to save it. it for later. I'm just going to say. It's, it's your, well, it was just it's your story. really quickly. I'll just be really quick. And he uh, he said that Scorsese wouldn't even look at him. He would just yeah. look, and if, if right. our friend would ask questions, he would ask 
uh, his own assistants about the question. Uh, so the the then you move into the 2000s where he's in his Leo DiCaprio phase. And yeah, I, I, bringing like, out the dead is look, so great. I really that's dig Nick that Cage. Movie. That's Nick Cage. That's still the 90s. Uh, yeah, the way he makes the rain uh, go upside down. The uh, what an artiste. What an auteur. Uh, he's the greatest. Uh, <laughs> wow. Scorsese is just the greatest ever. Somebody needed to get more socks for Christmas. There's no there's no one better than Scorsese. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's a, but this that. is nobody's saying that. You're you're arguing a str- against a straw man here. You're torching <laughs> the man of straw. So uh, lots of people say Mar- Michael Mann or Mar- or Martin Scorsese. Give me a greater sign, lesser. lesser me, yeah. me personally, me. I would rather I if I had to like keep one artist uh, uh, body of work, I would probably keep Michael Mann's because I like him more. But that doesn't Nolan or Martin Scorsese. Yep, you're you're asking me you're asking me uh, nonsense saying. questions. But you're, you're you don't have to make these choices. There's no limitation of room in the pantheon. The pantheon can be as big as you want to make it. I just want. For f- I want him on a lower shelf. By the way, I specifically didn't tell you guys I was going to swerve on this because I wanted to see Sonny's head explode. You said said swerve, and I thought, what's he going to swerve on? Uh And as soon as he started, I go, here we go. This is not a work, by the way. I really... Just no, you're just him. wrong. You're just bad. <laughs> you're just you're you're an illiterate. You know what's a great? I'll tell you what a great movie is. Avi, the Aviator is great, and I'll tell you why it's great. It's not because of Leo DiCaprio. It's because of his arch nemesis, the CEO of Pan Am, Juan Trip, played by Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, that, that's a great role. No, uh, he's good that, in everything. I mean, and, and, and I, I think right. I think that I think the Scorsese DiCaprio uh, partnership does not get the appreciation it deserves. Uh, I think Gangs of New York is sorely under. It's it's properly rated by people who are smart and know things, but it is underrated by people who are stupid and, yeah, it's the and best. ignore. <laughs> uh, God, that movie. Daniel so great. Day Lewis. Totally that's the best deserves, movie of the 2000s. Uh, it's certainly. Of the, the top 10. In the top I'd 10. It's a contender. It's in the top, top I would 20. say, the, uh, honestly, the draft riot scene. Fantastic. It's fantastic. And, and uh, the stuff at the beginning with Liam Neeson and uh, going up against Bill the Butcher in that big uh, that big fight. I like. There are things that you could cut from that film. Basically, everything with Cameron Diaz can go. Uh, but like, uh, the draft riots, that's the best thing. Uh, yeah, he's really plumbing the depths of the human experience in that. I really came away from that and totally. And Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. I think, is an early contender for I'm best letting film that one of sink the 2010s. In. I haven't decided I, I'm letting it, again. it sink in. Watch it. Our friend Matthew Continetti, is a, he, thinks it's, he thinks it's better than Goodfellas, which I think is well, wrong. Well, I think whatever Matt Continetti says is right. Thank no, you. don't. Is it you, better than Interstellar? Uh, We're talking about 2000. I mean, I'm just saying, like, there are probably four movies of the last two years that are I just would, objectively better. This, I is, would, this, this, it is this. This is the thing that drives me crazy about Scorsese. I don't know if I would put Interstellar above Wolf of Wall Street. Honestly, I think there. I would. I'd probably put Wolf of Wall Street above Dark Interstellar. Knight, Dark Knight Rises. I might put it above Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> That's insane. It's not better than The Dark Knight. Certainly, it's not better than the Prestige. But so, this, so this is what drives me crazy about it. It, it. it is not enough. It is like the Beyonce stuff. It is not enough just to say, like, yeah, no, Scorsese's great. Like, but you, you don't to, say like, Scorsese's great. You say Scorsese's fine. Yeah. There's a difference between great and fine. He is, and you are you're clearly plumbing. He is the, a top tier director mm. and a major talent. But can we just leave it at that? I but mean, I this don't is know. not. But, but, I think, no, I think the problem. We're, we're 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 all saying this, but you're like, yeah, but other others who I like more are greater. You're saying, telling me these things, like, but these movies are like, you know, the greatest of that decade. They're they're just not. Goodfellas is one of Go the greatest films Ed of the really 90s. Uh, uh, 
Raging Bull is one of the greatest films of the 80s. Taxi Driver is one of the greatest films of the 70s. And like, I think that there there is still time for that movie drove a man to want to kill the president. I mean, for 2000, 2000, the 2000s are. Uh, it, you, how can you decide what is the best movie of the 2000s yet? I don't think I don't. I, I frankly don't think anything from the 2000s would be in the. If I'm being serious for a moment. I don't think anything in the 2000s from Scorsese is in the like best film of the 2000s no. discussion. I don't. I don't think that. But I do think that Wolf of Wall Street will be by the end of the decade will be considered in the top 10 or 20 films of the 2010s. Easy. I think. I think that is a movie that is going to age well. I have to let it sink in, but I have to tell you to go back to the Aviator. One of my favorite scenes is Alec Baldwin as Juan Tripp has to pay a visit to. Um, Leo DiCaprio, who's playing Howard Hughes at his worst. And so he goes to the uh, offices. Hughes has been locked up in his studio screening room for weeks and months. And his hair is all grown out, and he's smelly and dirty, and the fingernails and the jars of urine and the tissue boxes, and naked on one side of the wall. And on the other side in the hallway is Juan Trepp talking, warning him about the uh, aeronautics board and how he's going to get ripped a new one uh, by Senator Brewster, played by Alan Alda. And he uh, and he's, he's explaining, and he's sitting in a chair, Al, uh, Alec Baldwin is, and he's just, you know, the, the hair is perfect, the suit is perfect, he just looks, you know, at his finest and nattiest. And, and, you know, little does he know on the other side is is Leo DiCaprio looking like a caveman. But he does know, and he does know that he suffers from, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder and other things. And so uh, Alec Baldwin will be talking to him and talking, Howard, you know, you really need to consider this. And he's smoking a pipe, and then he's blowing the smoke into the keyhole. And the smoke is coming into Leo DiCaprio's side, and he's all freaking out and trying to control himself. But it's a great scene. It is a great scene. A great scene. You know who's underrated? That's actually the best scene of the 2000s. You know who's There's under- no movie I in the 2000s that, that you know has a better scene that. in you're it like, than that one. Yeah, you're yeah. attacking I mean, straw men here. I mean, this is, this, this, I'm not you saying You know what that. movie sucks is Rogue One. <laughs> Rogue One. <laughs> wow. Write that down. That was 45, I told you. I told you. you I, use the F-bomb again. I would just like to say that the master has become the student has become ah, a master. I have trolled. just trolled I Sonny Bunch for 45 minutes. Totally felt ah, total totally success. Did. We need to move on to corrections. I think let's take a break. Let's let's take a break. We don't have commercials, so let's just go right into corrections. All right. Uh, and, and thoughts, corrections, clarifications. So do Vic, you want to start? Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Vic, you I killed Carrie Fisher. You did. Thanks. You did. Okay. Serious. I have to get serious here. Don't. Are you? Don't do shtick about Carrie Fisher being dead. If you do shtick about Carrie Fisher being dead, the show's over. I'm You're walking the, out. I'm You're walking, walking out of this room. I've been trolled once today. Let me just say a word about Carrie Fisher. If you were only recently listening to last week's episode, which was a record-breaking episode, many of you have tens of thousands, literally tens of thousands of listens, and we thank you for that. If you're only now listening to that episode, I'd like to explain that my jokes about Carrie Fisher, meaning her bad acting and the possibility that she was not alive, I did not make that when she suffered uh, cardiac arrest and died. I didn't even make it when she was on the plane. This was recorded way before that. And then just by luck, that happened. It was unfortunate. I'm a big fan of hers. I think my favorite role for her outside of Princess Leia is in When Harry Met Sally. She's wonderful as the woman who keeps dating married men. And I just want to say thank goodness. I almost made jokes about Debbie Reynolds for some reason in the last episode, and I didn't. Uh, so good thing for that. Uh, that's all I have to say. A clarif- it was a clarification. It's not an apology. It's a clarification. Friend of the show. If anyone Adam. was, if anyone was, as they say in, uh, in in this town, if anyone was offended, I'm truly sorry. 
you should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, I friend of the show Adam Kuyper sent me a link to something I'd never seen before, which was Carrie Fisher roasting Lucas at some AFI award show, and it's fantastic. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Yeah, I realized uh, this last week when we were off that I'm always saying, like, oh, I'll put it in the show notes without ever telling anybody what the show notes are. So every week after we do the show, uh, Sonny posts a thing over at the Washington Free Beacons blog about it, and then I post a little uh, sort of exit interview with links and things that we've talked about over at the Weekly Standards blog. So you should check. It's typically it goes up the day after the, the episode comes out. If you are interested in seeing or reading some of the things we talk about, you should check the show notes. So I will put that in. It's it's really great. It's only four and a half minutes, and she's so good. She's so like wickedly funny and cutting, and it's uh, I choose to remember her that way. Do you have Rogue One thoughts that you wanted? We talked about how uh, we've seen it a second time. I do, and it's this is a correction on my part. I had argued in our Rogue One thing that I was upset at the way Grand Moff Tar- sorry, Governor Tarkin was portrayed. And after seeing it again, I now total agreement with you, Sonny, that it had to be Tarkin. And that actually this is all done in furtherance of our thesis about the Empire being good. And Mm -hmm. that's because of this. So you have Director Krennic, who is a bloodthirsty psychopath who wants to kill the wife of uh, Jyn Ursa or the wife of uh, Mads Mikkelsen. What's his last? What's his? Galen. Galen Urso. Galen. Wants to kill Layla Urso just for no reason. Wants to kidnap the daughter. Wants to blow up uh, the whole planet. So, Jeddah. In Jeddah. Right. Jetta. But wants to blow up the whole So he's a psychopath. And Tarkin sees this and realizes that this guy can't be allowed anywhere near real power. That's why the minute the battleship, the battle station is operational, he moves in to bureaucratically sideline Krennic and take over himself. He's thinking of the good of the galaxy. Right. And then when Krennic starts moving around him, he realizes that this man is too dangerous even to be sidelined. And so he is willing, he's such a visionary that he is willing to protect the galaxy, even a galaxy including horrible rebels like Saw Gerrera, like Bail Organa, like Princess Leia. He's willing to protect their lives at the cost of Imperial lives. And finding out that Krennic is on the little uh, planet with the, the data backups, with the, the hard drives, he decides he has to, this is his opportunity to kill him. He has to kill him now for the good of the galaxy. And so he sacrifices tens of thousands of Imperial lives, not to mention enormously important infrastructure to keep this madman away from the button of the Death Star. Yes. You can, you can absolutely at the time. reread this entire bit on Rogue One with Tarkin as the level-headed hero trying to protect the galaxy. And, and not only that, but uh, you know, it, it was wise for Tarkin to do it then in that manner because you get the impression watching that movie that Krennic is just hard to kill. You yes. know, I mean, he got shot at in the shoulder by Galen's wife, and then there was the uh, explosion that killed Galen, and he just keeps on living. So, you know, there was one way to do it. I made the mistake again. I keep on referring to the the, the Jedi Temple and and Chirrut and Base, but in fact, it's a Kyber Temple. I guess is sort of related, and that these guys are not Jedi. They're not guard Jedi guard. They're guardians of the wills, which is a whole other world, right, Sonny? It's a whole other thing. The wills. Well, I think I think that was mostly just a shout out to uh, the uh, original. It, this is like this is actually a very kind of cool and secret callback to the original uh, name of the Star Wars kind of saga, which was the the uh, saga of the wills or some such. W H I L L S. 
uh, is what Lucas had originally called it. It wasn't originally called Star Wars. It was called you know something else. And it was uh, yeah, they are they are not Jedi. They're not Jedi Knights. They're like temple guards. Uh, listener Rosh Mosh on iTunes uh, wrote a review. He said, I think you guys are wrong about the fan service in Rogue One. I really appreciated the look backs to the original Star Wars in this movie. Uh, this was a Star Wars movie, even though it was a one-off, as you say. And so the tie-ins were necessary and an integral part of what made the movie so special. I just want to say, I agree, more walrus man. Thank you. Uh, other corrections. Leia's ship is a Corellian Corvette, not a Hammerhead Corvette. Uh, oh, and in fact, I thought it was a, not to totally geek out, but I thought it was a blockade rudder. That's from Doc G. Hines, oh. uh, who wrote in. He also wrote in to say the Yoda lightsaber Sonic the Hedgehog scene is episode two, not episode three. With uh, Count Dooku. Another uh, Twitter buddy. I, I, I've lost this in my show notes here. I'm sorry about whoever i should be giving proper credit the t15 yeah. is a blaster go figure and so that is what is being rendered rem- obsolete the thing that luke is playing with uh, is called a sky hopper, hopper yeah is what Je- oh, that's jeff gray sorry okay. jeff gray on twitter uh, and there was one other thing vic i have in my show notes that you're supposed to tell us something about jack palance <laughs> well, uh, no, I was uh, Jack making uh, Jack Palance, Palance. And, yes, Jack Palance. Scorsese. No, I was uh, I, in, in a recent in a recent uh, profile of the now former manager of the Palm Steakhouse, uh, Tommy Giacomo. Uh, Continetti featured a, a picture of my head on the wall at the steakhouse, which they were very kind to do. Vic, generously. you have your picture on the wall at the Palm for free, and I look very young. How much money have you spent at the not, Palm over the last? Not 10 much. Years? There is a technical you, way to get you, on there, but I did not. Spend Spent fifteen thousand dollars to get on the wall. I would it was actually, just the I kindness would, of Tommy Giacomo. Be curious to know if he has spent fifteen thousand dollars at the Palm. No, over the last no, ten no, years. No, no, no. There is a number, but I'm not revealing it. Back on the show. when we were owned by Rupert Murdoch is when you spent all that. Money oh yes, at the that Palm. was fifty thousand points yes. actually, and the yes. uh, plane trip around the world. And I said that uh, it's it's a lovely portrait, but I haven't looked like that in years. And lately, I look more like Asian Jack Palance. To which uh, uh, substandard listener JMO says, uh, "Please say, believe it or not." And so I'll say it. Believe it or not. Thank you. That's my Jack Palance impression. That's brilliant. Of one of the <laughs> number one guy. Right. That's my. Oh, that the, the only the that only Jack Palance the the only uh, 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 movie of his that I actually really know is Batman. Well, I'll I mean, be, he was because I'm a child. He, I'm a, yes, you know. yes. No, he was a great western. He did a lot of yeah, westerns. I know. I know. I know. He's. I know. He was in a lot big, of movies oh, other City than Slickers, Batman. City Slickers. But literally, the yes. only one I know is City Slickers. Uh, but Ripley's Believe It or Not was a great show. And as a kid growing up, I thought all of it was real. It turns out maybe some of well, it was the same was time as That's Incredible. I believe yeah. it went back to back, right, on CBS? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be gold. That would be gold. And, Isn't and, this true, though, that yes, That's Incredible that's followed incredible, by Ripley's Believe It or Not? Maybe. Uh, the competitor to That's Incredible was called Real People. And Fred Willard was on that at a uh, comedy element. And he's fantastic, of course. Uh, r- really quickly... Uh, Don't forget Spirit of the Week. Yes, yes. I was going to say our best of the year argument uh, segment, I argued about The Americans being my favorite TV show, I think. But I should have also mentioned Stranger Things. I caught that at the end. I think Sonny would agree. It's a great show. Yeah, it was fine. And a great sort of homage to the 80s. Uh, Sonny, no other corrections. Uh, no, I actually had one this week. I had one. This, I, I said something. The I day said, the music died. I, I said something like uh, uh, I was kind of a doubter of Christopher Nolan until The Dark Knight Rises. That's not true. I meant The Dark Knight, not, not The Dark Knight Got Rises. It. Very important distinction. Okay. Uh, Spirit of the Week uh, is courtesy of my brother-in-law, Bill Dwyer. Uh, Jefferson's Ocean aged at sea. What did you think about it, guys? 
Uh, well, Jonathan, this is the, the first the time first you bourbon. literally the first time you've ever had bourbon. We should have. We should have like. I didn't realize, slow. You yeah. know, what? if I do his first, I would have given him the Jack Daniels honey. Or the yeah. uh, what fireball? Fireball, some fireball. Yeah, that would have been nice. Well, you gave it Flavored. to me in a red plastic solo cup. Red R. stag. R. I should have gotten a red stag. R.I.P. I was given the kids so, cup. Yeah, yeah. No, gla- we ran out of glass. I don't know. Like I took a couple sips. Is this what people drink? Yes. Adults like they do. they choose adults. to put this into their mouth, like for what? For social occasions to help them like get chicks and stuff. You know how kids don't what? like the taste of beer at first. That's you with bourbon. Okay. Sunny. And also beer. It's <laughs> uh, Look, I had it and I didn't gag. <laughs> I don't know what. There's a joke in there, but go ahead, Sonny. <laughs> uh, I thought it was good. I, you know, I, I've had a bunch of the Jeffersons, yes. the private uh, reserve or whatever. The, the uh, well, this one, the, 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 the more aged stuff. Yeah, this is this is very interesting. It does have kind of a salty tang this, to it. This is it's, from well, this is from their website. So I'm just reading because it's interesting, and it's a free plug. But it is interesting. It, it started out as an experiment. Uh, an effort to discover what would happen if bourbon was left to weather the extreme elements, temperature fluctuations, salt, air, gentle rocking of the ship. Uh, the result, they say, is thick, dark bourbon showcases complex flavors reminiscent of other spirits, almost like a dark rum. Uh, and it comes out almost like an Islay scotch, they say. Uh, each voyage of Jefferson's ocean typically crosses the equator four times, uh, visits five continents and over 30 ports on an average sailing. So, uh, where do they put the barrels? Like, do they do they put the barrels on like cruise ships or something? No, where do, I'm where do they go? Picturing cargo ships like on hmm. top and just hope that a storm doesn't knock it over. That's so they're just thought. like I in don't a know. container on some giant. Like, yes, it's container. like it's like a Maersk. Or maybe there's like a Maersk that's carrying barrels, yeah, yeah. or maybe a smaller ship like a like in, in the old days, maybe like a, a clipper, you know, a ship of the line. <laughs> there it is. I don't know. Captain Jack Sparrow is going around we, with this uh, yes, these uh, bottles. We, in we, the... we have many questions, and if you have want to know more about it, go to Jefferson's. Yeah. Bourbon.com. Hint, hint, if, please send us more bourbon. If the good folks at Jefferson wanted to talk about this awesome bourbon, that would be fantastic. We would be happy to discuss. I think it's great. I think this is like the Martin Scorsese of bourbons. <laughs> you got him good, JVL. You got him good. Uh, Achievement unlocked. <laughs> on many levels. That's funny. On many levels. And that's all the time we have on this week's episode of the Substandard. Questions, comments, complaints, compliments, tweet us at Victorino Mattis, at Sunny Bunch. Again, be sure. Tweet at Jonathan Last, at JV Last. He has a lot of things he wants to hear about Martin Scorsese, guys. I really want to hear your opinions on Twitter, and I check it obsessively, so I will see everything you say. It'll come right to my retinas within seconds. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or the Google, I mean Google Play. Just type in some standard podcast. We're there. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Until next time. Jeez, I'm looking at our iTunes reviews. We have a guy who's like, hey, I'm a German fan of your podcast. So, Vic, your outreach is really paying I'm off. I am, well, right. to the German, to the German does, fan. Does, does this guy live in Argentina now? I want to say to the German fan, one of the other shows I enjoyed was Erist Wieder Da on Netflix, where Hitler wakes up in modern-day Berlin hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that was recommended to me by Mike Goldfarb. It's really, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. Look, this Goldfarb, guy gave us five stars, so don't screw yeah, no, it. No, no, I'm I would, not kidding. I, thank you. Erist Wieder Da and Willkommen to our uh, German uh, listeners. Uh, it was funny. Uh, before I came over here, actually, uh, Mr. Mr. One Michael uh, Goldfarb, he... Uh, he, hey, he said to me, uh, you know, anything with Nazis in it, I'll watch. 
<laughs> well, so watches, I assume that means he the man listens in the to high us. Castle, and then he told me I had to say Erst wieder da, which is, means he's back, and it's nuts. There's a scene where Hitler has to, you know, they try to get Hitler an email address, and so he says, of course, you know, Adolf Hitler's like, sorry, it's taken. And so he says, well, I'll take Wolf, uh, Wolf Slayer. And the lady says, oh, great news, we've got Wolf Slayer 6. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Okay. Hey, I have our first correction for next week. All right. Should I save it? Yeah, save it. Okay. I will say one last thing for Christmas. My mother also got me a pair of jeans she thought I could use from Lee. Leaves or Levi's Loose yeah, Fit. So I put them on. I said, man, these are really comfortable. And then I looked in the Elastic mirror. Elastic stretch. Oh, no, they're not, but they're so baggy. And I realized they were dad jeans. And maybe she didn't even do that by accident. She's probably telling me, time to own up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or mom so jeans. Maybe they're mom jeans or Levi's. I think they're Levi's. I hope they're Levi's because Levi's. these are for women. Oh, they're Wingler. No, actually. no, they're Wingler. Buddy Lee. Don't you remember the Buddy Lee? The That's fantastic right. Buddy Lee spots. That was, was like that was Buddy, Buddy Lee action for hero. Women. This is this is simply not true. Do well, you remember how funny yes. Buddy Lee was? We used to I, say yeah, you watch this on Buddy Lee. Are you wearing Lee's right now? Uh, no, because like uh, you would not believe this, but I have like bizarre preferences for jeans as well. Diesel. He only wears diesel. No, I wear. Uh, Do you get them from a surf, now you're surf manufacturer? Me. I wear either. Are they Jenkos? <laughs> either Patagonia or Prana. This is the only thing I will wear. I'm sorry. Was that Patagonia or Prada? Prana. Prada. Prana. Prada. The P R A N A. It's mountain climbing gear. It's. Fan, they make fantastic jeans. You know so what I my, think about your my je- uniform for you, this office, which drives Crystal insane, by the way, do you, do you, is do you, that I show up wearing my sneakers and your Prana jeans, my Prana, your Prana jeans, jeans, and my Lost T-shirts, and this is what I wear every day. Because you know why? Because they don't pay me to get dressed here; they pay me to think. Yeah, you know what? When I see you in those jeans, uh, JVL, I think I'm sure it's fine. 